Hello, and welcome to An Aromatic Life. You know, we're coming up to Halloween here in the U.S., so I thought it was the perfect time to talk about a subject that I haven't explored yet on this podcast, and that's using scent to tell stories. Let me give you an example. So you're standing in line to go on a roller coaster ride. This roller coaster isn't any roller coaster. It's a wooden roller coaster. You know, the kind that creaks a little? The sound of that creaking alone might make you a little nervous as you stand there in line. But what if you then also get a slight whiff of smokiness in the air? That brings in a whole other dimension, right? That smoky smell might make you think, hold on, is there something wrong with the ride? There isn't, by the way. That little whiff of smokiness is helping to enhance the experience of standing in line for that ride. My guest today works with theme parks and museums to use scent to help dimensionalize experiences. He's got some great examples to share that I know you'll really enjoy. And whether you go to theme parks and museums or not, I think simply learning about how scent can play a role in storytelling could be interesting for what you do in your life. So let me introduce you to my guest. Liam Findlay is an attractions and heritage scenting consultant at Aroma Prime where he advises attractions on the most effective ways to use scents. He also directs the development of new scents, which sometimes involves historical recreations based on research and archeological evidence. What's wonderful is that Liam is using his experience in the world of smells to expand on his storytelling. He's just written and released a brand new children's book called The Doomtown Dummies. The book involves a hero who sees the world from the perspective of her nose. Liam wrote the book in an effort to encourage children to explore and think about smells in their own lives. That makes me so happy. I hope you all go out and get this book for the children in your life. Anyway, I think you're really going to enjoy what he has to share. So let's get started. Enjoy my conversation with Liam Findlay. This is An Aromatic Life, the podcast that aims to shed light on our beautiful sense of smell and increase its profile in a culture dominated by sight and sound. My name is Frau Gagalia. I'm a certified aromatherapist and smell coach who spent over 20 years in and around the fragrance industry. What I know for sure after all these years is that our sense of smell is powerful, yet is so underappreciated. There's so much we can do to harness our sense of smell to be well. So join me as I explore this mesmerizing sense from all different angles and learn what it can do for you. Enjoy the show. So I want to welcome you to An Aromatic Life. Liam, I'm so glad you're here. We're going to have so much fun talking about a a topic that I haven't even explored here on this podcast. So I'm really excited to dive into all things thematic storytelling. Uh, You're doing so many interesting things in that area and bringing scent or smells into storytelling is is a beautiful thing. And just in experiences, I can't wait to talk to you. Thank you. It's exciting to be here. And I'm um, looking forward to talking about the tricks you can play with smells. Yeah. And there's certainly (laughs) a lot, as I know you'll tell me. (laughs) But uh, I always like to start my podcast off by asking my guests uh, a simple question, really. What does the sense of smell mean to you? I'm just curious. To me, particularly with my work, it means storytelling. I work for Aroma Prime, which makes smells for theme parks and museums. 
And at a theme park or a museum, you'll always want to try and tell a story in some way and present a story. Smell in that context for me is a bit like music or illustration in that you can take people on a journey and affect the way the story is perceived and how the audience is feeling and how they react to it or how they understand the story, particularly at the museum. So for me, it's a, a tool for storytelling. Yeah, yeah. And what a great tool it is. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. How about what it means to you personally? Do you connect with your sense? Uh, you must connect with your sense of smell a lot because you work with it every day. <laughs> but is it a complicated relationship? Is it a, a happy relationship? Yeah, I think it's happy. I've always enjoyed sniffing things. Oh, uh, That's good. Yeah. So growing up, did you connect with smelling a lot when you were young? Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, I like to sniff things if I would pick something up like a pencil. Lots of people like to smell books and pencils anyway and rubbers. Yeah. But yeah, anything that seemed interesting to me, I like to sniff. And it can seem quite unusual or it did seem unusual or funny to people. But to me, it was a normal thing. Like if you would look at things or if you would listen to them, it just seems natural that you would smell them as well and add to your understanding of the object or whatever it was that I was sniffing. It just added to the understanding. So, yeah, it was a normal thing for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed because, as I've mentioned on this podcast many times, I did not connect with smelling when I was young. It was not something that was really encouraged, not that my parents needed to encourage it, but it's just in society in general. I think it's a very yeah. visual and auditory society. So I'm happy to hear that you are connected with it just naturally based on the work that you're doing too, that you're a very curious person, which is great. <laughs> I suppose with what you were just saying, maybe if you look at something or if you listen to it, you don't necessarily have to get all up close to it. And maybe it's the getting up close to things and leaning yeah. in that can maybe seem a bit less socially acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> Although you and I are going to try to change that, right? And we'll talk about your book yes. in a minute. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> person by person, we will try to get people to be more curious using yes. their nose, <laughs> which is really important. Did you, where did you grow up? I'm just curious. I grew up in the south of England. The south. Nice. And do um, you have any favorite scent memories from growing up there? Yeah, well, one of the most prominent and which kind of links to my work now was an attraction in my town that was called the Time Walk. And it was um, a, a kind of a, a journey through the past of the town that took you through the Black Death and the Civil War. And that had lots of smells in it. So you could smell the Black Death. You could smell the ships and all sorts of other things. And most of them were musty, unpleasant smells. But lots of locals, including me, have the attraction closed in 2010, but lots of locals have strong memories of the time walk. And that was one of the most prominent smelly experiences to me growing up, I think. But then otherwise, it's, I suppose everyone remembers the smell of their grandma's house. It's a cliche to say <laughs> when you true. talk about smell memories, they start talking about your grandma. But yeah, my grandma's house and what did it yeah, smell like? Freshness. I'm curious. Tell me about your grandmother's house. If you had to describe it in a couple of words, what, what comes to mind with your grandmother's house? I, I'll just tell you my grandmother's house reminds yeah. me of white vinegar. She cleaned everything yeah. with white vinegar. <laughs> I think that's an interesting thing about grandparents. Maybe that's why it is such a cliche, because they have a kind of different way of living to us modern younger folk who 
like the materials they use and things. And back when I was a much younger, my grandparents would smoke. So they had a kind of cigarette smell in the house. And then there was an air freshener that covered that up. So there's like a oh, blend. That but layer on top of, of the smoke. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's similar now, but different because my grandparents have stopped smoking. But it's still got a, I suppose everyone has a kind of a, a signature scent to them that they don't realize. And I suppose that element of it has remained consistent it's so true it's so true so you you grew up in i was gonna say the south of france it's not the south of france the south of england <laughs> sounds just as romantic <laughs> but how did you get to where you are now i never planned to work with smells even though <laughs> i was does? interested in yeah <laughs> i did an animation degree so that was stop motion animation when you move puppets around take pictures of them and then I moved into the themed attraction industry, designing attractions and interactive experiences for museums and theme park experiences. Um, so I took the storytelling and design skills from animation, put them into that. And then I knew that Aroma Prime existed because when you're a designer working freelance, you're always looking for the next job. So I knew Aroma Prime works and I knew I was interested in smells. And I wondered if maybe I could use my understanding of attraction design to advise their customers because the company had recently been bought by some people that were more into the business side than the attraction side. So I used my existing experience and said, let me help the customers. And, then, and that helped me explore the smile side of things on a personal level. And then I've been able to combine my interests that way, learn more about smiles and also to develop my attraction design experience. Yeah, that's so great. That's so great because I think and it must have started there when you like you were just talking about that little attraction growing up from your town, right? Yeah. It just and expanded from there. Yeah, it was actually the time walk Aroma Prime made their smells in the 90s. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah, it's it turns 50 years old this year. So there's oh. a Lots of, especially in England, lots of people, even if they don't realize it, they have lots of memories connected to Aroma Prime from the attractions they've been to. Ah, great. Well, that's wonderful. We'll, <laughs> we'll get into the attractions and all of that. I just wanted to spend a, a, just a minute talking about storytelling in general, right? As you mentioned, you're a designer who uses scent as a means to tell stories. And I'm just curious why from your perspective, do you think that's such a powerful medium to tell stories? What is it about smells and scents? I think a benefit to smell is how it enters your body. How do I say that in a more interesting yes, no, but I guess, a, yeah, yeah. That makes sense um, to me, but yeah, maybe explain it a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. So I suppose if you see something, you're just looking at it. And if you hear it, it's just vibrations on your ears. But you inhale the very, if you're walking through like a fantasy world that's been recreated or a historical world, you're inhaling an interpretation of that world and you can sense its flavor. And then, of course, because of the effect that smell has on our minds, it fires off all sorts of reactions in your head. So it's a, a much more intimate way of experiencing a fictional or a, a recreated world, I think in terms no, of storytelling. I think that's exactly spot on because what I always like to tell people is that smell because they're chemicals from another living being, 
coming into you as a living being, right? There's that intimate connection, which sight and sound don't give you as much, right? They're more like wavelengths and, and, and other things. Yeah, it's incredibly intimate. And I, and I agree. And the fact that smell hits the emotional centers of your brain at the same time as it hits the conscious part of your brain is also very unique. So you immediately have a reaction, a feeling. Yeah. And I think that's vital to it because like you could maybe see a picture of the sea or you could hear the sea, but it, if it's delivered artificially, it can still feel artificial. Whereas if you smell the sea and you have those kind of very direct emotional reactions to it, it can feel a lot more authentic and like you could actually be at the seaside because I think vision and sounds can be easily replicated. And maybe that's another part of it that smells People find it harder to comprehend how a smell can be created artificially. So maybe you're more likely to uh, have that suspension of suspension of disbelief. Is that what people say? Yeah. <laughs> suspension, <laughs> suspension of something. Of belief or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. So I guess I want to also ask what elements of a story then does scent help to elevate? Like when you're thinking about telling a story, which you always are in the work that you do, what makes you think about, okay, where do I, where can I bring scent in to help elevate that story? I have a very nice example from Disneyland, and there are countless kind of tricks that you can use with smells, but this is just a nice example that illustrates how smells can be used in interesting ways. And the example I'd like to give is at the Snow White ride, which has an apple smell. And it seems a kind of a very basic and unimaginative use of smell that Snow White would have an apple smell. But you go past scenes on a cart and the first scene that guests enter is the Seven Dwarfs Cottage and everyone's having a party. And that's where you can smell the apples and um, you can see the kind of warm woody colours, which kind of uh, I would imagine contributes to people's reactions to that smell. And it, especially in rides, first impressions are very important. So having that immediate positive feeling is good. And the apple smell is also very widely recognizable. So all sorts of international guests will recognize it, unlike some smells that can have different reactions from different people around the world. So there's that element. But then in the ride, you leave that first scene where there's all the happy dancing and the apple smell. And immediately when you turn the corner, you're in the dark forest where the witch is at the door and she's got the poisoned apple. Your emotional reaction is switched on its head somewhat that you've been having this very positive reaction to the apple smell. But then you see the poisoned apple, which you know is going to kill Snow White. So the, the smell has a whole different meaning. And it's, it's a nice way to play with people's emotions. That instance reminds me of the child catcher in Chitty Bat having yeah. lollies. And then you realize his cart is a cage. And that's another, even though they're very contrasting examples, that same kind of approach is used in scare mazes at Halloween. So they might use a pleasant smell to create a false sense of security. But then you'll realize that smells coming from rotting bodies or something. And it plays with your emotions a lot. So the even if it's something as simple and something that seems so unimaginative as a smell of apples, you can play with it in terms of how the other visuals come into play and the other elements of the experience to tell a story in an interesting way. 
Oh, it's it's brilliant. It's so brilliant. I love it. And I want to hear some more, actually, because you do things for both theme parks and for museums. So let's just continue on the, the theme parks area a little bit more. Can you give us some other fun examples of things you've done? Yeah. So one of the things that we've been doing a lot recently with British theme parks, because we've been working with them for so many decades now, there's lots of bringing back old smells that guests have nostalgic memories with, so smells that were discontinued or the rides closed like 10 years ago or 20 years ago, but you'll have people that have very personal memories of them. And one example of that is the Vampire Roller Coaster at Chessington World of Adventures, which I believe was the first ever roller coaster to have an artificial smell used to enhance the storytelling. The loading station is like an old vampire's crypt and there's a vampire playing the organ and it's got a very dirty kind of old damp smell. And that smell was removed, but in 2020, the smell was brought back. And we've done that similarly with another ride, a kind of alien ride at Alton Towers. We made a custom alien egg nest smell that we've brought back. And that's very popular Particularly in this age, maybe it's coincidental, but in this age when we've got all these sort of movies and things, I suppose yeah. this might be the smell equivalent appealing to that nostalgia in terms you know, of you, entertainment. Yeah, you say that because our world is moving so quickly. I live here in Silicon Valley and all anybody talks about is AI. And obviously mm. the world is starting to think, oh my gosh, we're really moving into a new age, this and that. And it's, you're more going virtually or non-human things. I feel like there's a lot of nostalgia and and the need for having physical, real experiences because our world is moving so quickly into a new age, right? Yeah. And it's nice to be involved in that. It's nice to be involved in something that can only be experienced physically, which I suppose might contribute to that personal connection that we have with smells. So I I imagine not only when you create the smells, but you might go visit and and see how people are responding to it. Is it interesting to observe people? Yeah. Having the experience? (laughs) Yeah. I went to one of our customers, a theme park customer, a few weeks ago, and it was always very interesting to me, partly to hear what people say about the smells. So we made smells for a haunted house ride, and there was a boy that said it smelled of cabbages, which was interesting to me. And also, it's interesting to me that when I go to attractions, I it's almost every time I go, I hear people mention the smells, which suggests to me that there must be people commenting on the smells so often every single day. If when I visit on the off chance, I hear quite a few examples. So yeah, that that's interesting to me hearing. And it's always exciting to to sniff the smells in context when you've been working on them out of the context that they're meant for. You're not only helping people to have the experience in the moment, but it'll stay with them. It's creating a new scent memory, right? Yeah. They ever smell it in that, maybe green apples will have this. (laughs) The smell (laughs) of green apple will have that scent memory for them in other contexts. You never know. Yeah. And that can be a kind of marketing benefit to theme parks if they want to release candles with the same smells that are used yes. in the rides or people will sometimes sniff things and they'll say oh this smells like this roller coaster and it's a nice way of keeping the attraction in people's minds when they go home even years later 
yeah um, yeah, so yeah they've got a bit of marketing without having to do any marketing yeah yeah i think about some of these scarier rides or i'm not a roller coaster person myself so i'm already scared enough to be if i were to be standing in that line which i won't be but for those people who really enjoy them and they're looking forward to the the challenge of having the experience and then you add the dimension of a scent that kind of provokes right and and, and elevates that whether it's fear or excitement that to me is great that's just genius yeah and we do exactly that with the um, Wickerman roller coaster, Alton Towers, which has a wood smoke smell. Um, and it's worth noting that the Wickerman roller coaster is made of wood. So when ah. people are queuing up and they can smell smoke in there, like looking at this wooden roller coaster that they're about to get on. <laughs> they're like, is this going to hold up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a nice way of, particularly as the fire smells and smoke is such a kind of primal, familiar smell to so many people. It's a nice way of building anticipation and perhaps provoking a fight or flight reaction. Maybe oh some people will feel excited and maybe some people will feel more scared. People might have a really visceral, I think of all the wildfires now that people might be like, oh, yeah. I don't want to be near these <laughs> fires, but hopefully it's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, that's a good example of when you might want to consider the kinds of guests that you'll get um, and where they're from. Um, whether it's a good decision to use that particular smell or not. Um, yeah, and you take that into consideration as well. Yeah, for sure. Any others that you want to share? In terms of bringing old smells back at Chessington World of Adventures again, there was a bubble works ride, or it's called bubble works, where you went on a little boat past, it was through a bubble factory or a fizzy pop factory, and it had a bubble gum smell. That closed a few years ago, but recently the theme park bought it back and they put it in its toilets. They marketed it like the bubble work smell is back and everyone was very excited about it, even though it was in the toilets, which is <laughs> incredibly glamorous. But it's kind of amusing and uh, interesting to see how people get excited about the smells, even if they're in implemented in a somewhat mundane way. It goes to show you can put it anywhere and people can have... New yeah. and unusual experiences with nostalgic smells. <laughs> How about museums? Now, that's a whole different thing, right? Because you're going to museums for different reasons than you might be going to theme parks. Tell us a little bit about that and how you approach museums and the type of work that you've done there. Yeah, I suppose even though the intentions are normally a bit different because museums focus on informing more than entertaining, sometimes the approaches that we take are similar, like with the vampire roller coaster that I just mentioned, when that was being worked on in the 90s, our team was thinking about how to make people anxious in the loading station and how the smell worked alongside the sound effects and the lighting and the visuals and maybe how people would react having been queuing for ages and smelling that. And they had the opportunity to test reactions. And that same year, I think it was 1990, the Imperial War Museum was building the trench experience, which was a recreated World War I trench setup. And Aroma Prime was asked to make lots of unpleasant and historically accurate smells for the trenches. And focusing on how the smell had influenced people in the roller coaster queue was a nice way of informing how to apply smells in the trench experience to mm -hmm. make people feel anxious, perhaps, um, 
and the intention there was to create empathy for the soldiers who had to um, go through these experiences and mm. to feelings of anxiety and discomfort was a, a kind of a good way to do that to create that understanding um, so even though projects theme park projects and museum projects can be very different in their intentions um, there are lots of ways that the practices can overlap and inform each other yeah it's true Tell me more about some other ones that you've done. That's, <laughs> it's fascinating. I'm so happy when people incorporate smells into museums. I don't find it so much here in the U.S. So try yeah. to get people to be more interested in it. So hopefully it'll be done more. <laughs> I think it was during the 80s. I think theme parks had a big influence on the use of smells in museums. And they were perhaps not used so much before places like Disney were making actually their own historical rides that use smells and then places like Jorvik Viking Center would uh, take elements of that so at Jorvik Viking Center it's quite like a theme park ride where you're sat in a cart but instead of a kind of a, a made-up fantasy world that you're traveling through you're traveling through a recreated Viking village which is based on the exact kind of archaeological findings of a Viking village that the archaeologists discovered, and it's built in the very same place that they found these structures. So the, the village has been recreated, and you can go through, and it's very um, educational and informative, and there are lots of smells that come out in these different scenes, like you can get a... I suppose the smells draw your attention to things, so when you're passing the man that works with the leather you can smell the leather and that kind of helps you acknowledge and remember that craft that the vikings had and then you go past the fisher people who smell of fish and that kind of even though it's incredibly stinky and unpleasant it in fact there was a study in that in 1999 that used Jorvik viking center as a case study where people had visited on an average of six years previously and they smelt the same smells that they had smelt at Jorvik Viking Center. And it was found that the participants that smelt the same smells that they'd smelt at the museum were better at remembering the content that they had seen at the museum than people that had also visited the museum but were smelling unrelated smells. So it's interesting how the smells can have an effect on people's memories of what they learn at the museum. And I think, yeah, it it draws on scent memories. It draws on dimensionalizing the experience which is so important it's again it's going beyond this visual and just auditory because I, I think museums sometimes like to bring in sounds too right press a button and you can hear them talking mm. back in this <laughs> and you're like okay <laughs> but again there's this glass wall to me when you have those dimensions as soon as you bring in smell you feel like you're physically there yeah. And in history. <laughs> yeah. I think some people might turn their noses up at um, museums that uh, recreate uh, sets and worlds. I know that there are some criticisms around how accurate they can be. And when you're maybe making a ride through the past, so to speak, there's a level of artifice to it and people can criticize that. But I find it I find it a lot more engaging if if you're in a museum and you press a button and you hear something. Or even if you just walk past the glass cases, like you say, I, would, I often find that not very engaging. And it's maybe, even though a, a ride or something that seems a bit more theatrical is more theatrical and entertaining, 
I think it can often be more informative in how it engages you more than than things in glass cases. They make you work harder to imagine what they were like in their contexts back in the day. Yeah. And I like how some museums, if they incorporate scent, and I don't know if you do it this way too, you can still press a button and a little whiff comes through. But you can do it that way too, so people yeah. can choose to engage with smell or not, that it's not forced upon you. Because I think some people are like, oh, I don't want to have any scent mm -hmm. experience or... I know cus customers who you work with, whether that's the museums or the um, theatrical parks, they might be like, what if we alienate people because they have such a bad scent memory of it? And there's always that fear of alienating somebody. So let's avoid it and not do it at all. Do you come across that as well? Yeah, I think lots of museums, more traditional museums that don't have all these elaborate recreated sets, they often go for what we would call dry diffusion. So rather than a liquid vapor that kind of fills the whole space in an atmospheric way, it will be a dry object that's just been scented and you might lift a flap or um, press a button and you'll just get the scented air, which is a lot less invasive. And yeah, what you say about people having the choice is very important. Because if they're going on a ride or into a kind of immersive set, then they might expect smells. But in a traditional museum setting, it's where people probably aren't expecting unusual smells. It's often good to give them that choice and the control yeah. over whether they sniff or not. Yeah, it's true. It's still fascinating. Do you think museums, at least what you found, are starting to embrace the, the idea of bringing smells in more? Is that growing? Yeah, I think there are two factors that I've noticed recently that have perhaps contributed to this. And the first was during the pandemic when museums were trying to avoid hands-on experiences where people would touch things. Yes. So they ended up introducing smells a lot. And one of the kind of major newspapers re reported on this. And I worked on a smell pump that could be controlled with your foot so you just it was like one of those bicycle pumps you push your foot down and the smell would come out so you didn't have to use your hands and I think that kind of uh, opened some museums eyes to the potentials of smells and then there's also an academic project called Ojeropa that I've been working yes. with oh you um, work with them that's wonderful yeah uh, on and off occasionally I'm not part of the team but I collaborate with them on occasion yeah. and as it seems they've been advocating for the use of smells in museums, which I'm sure, especially as the project comes to an end this year, I believe, and they publish all their findings and share Can't them. Wait. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure that's going to have a big influence. Yeah, I, I can't wait for that because I interviewed Carol Verbeek, who's a part oh, yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah. And, and we were just talking about how not only are they doing all this work in, in Europe and the UK, that it's the the idea is to pass it on to everybody and have it open source so everybody gets inspired by it and so that here maybe in the US we adapt some things maybe in you know in Latin America we're all over the world in Asia that everybody says look at what we've done here and these are things you can consider doing and that makes me so excited <laughs> yes i i do like how they've brought lots of uh, different experts and historians um and people that aren't necessarily related to smell all the time but they have a uh, expertise in a certain area and how it's all kind of accumulating and I look forward to seeing how that informs people and inspires them. Yeah, me too. Can't wait. <laughs>
Hey, did you know that I teach people how to exercise their sense of smell? I have an online platform called The Smell Gym, which is the place to exercise your sense of smell for health and well-being. I offer online classes for everyone on the smell spectrum, whether you can smell well or not. Simply go to smellgym.com and see which class is right for you. And while you're there, be sure to grab my free guide, which will help you do a general assessment of your ability to smell using everyday items you have in your home. Simply go to smellgym.com, grab the free resource, and come join me in an online class, no matter where you are in the world. All right, so should we move on to your book? Storytelling. Yeah. You're doing your own <laughs> storytelling, not only for others or for external reasons, but you've got a new book that's coming out on September 19th, and it's called The Doomtown Dummies. Congratulations, first of all. I know what it takes to publish a book. <laughs> I'm in the process of doing that myself, but it's Thanks. a lot of work, but it's exciting at the same time. So tell everybody about this book. What's it about? It follows the story of Colette Planchette, who's 11 years old, and she finds herself in an eerie village of shop window dummies. And what's interesting about Colette is that she has a supernatural sense of smell that enables her to communicate with the dead. So she can sniff the souls of the living, but also the dead, and she can interpret smells to understand what people are feeling, or if she's communicating with a ghost, she can smell its emotions and translate that into what the, the ghost is saying to her. Um, and her best friend, Lucian, is a ghost who's within the carving on her umbrella handle, and they have lots of olfactory communication together. Yeah, it was fun to explore how smells could be used in a kind of fun and fantastical way. What is the adventure that she goes on or what is she, what is she trying to accomplish in the story? She runs away from her ghastly uncle who him and his house have all sorts of unpleasant smells. Although that's not why she runs away. He's controlling. <laughs> <laughs> and she wants to become a stop motion animator and work in movies. But her uncle's trying to send her to a boarding school. So she runs away. But then she finds herself in this village of mannequins and unusual things happen in the village. Oh. <laughs> and she has to use her nose to sniff out the truth and work out what's happening and maybe escape some peril along the way. Oh, that sounds fascinating. What is the age group? For this story, would you say, this book? It's 8 to 12-year-olds. Okay. Yeah, it's normally referred to as middle grade. Okay, middle grade. So it's not a children's picture book. It's actually a like a Harry Potter age? Yeah, kind of? yeah, that's right. Um, and one of my intentions in incorporating Smiles was to try and inspire the young readers to consider approaching the world from the perspective of their nose a bit more. Colette, as she goes through these challenges, she um, often interprets things through what she can smell, and she uses smells to solve problems, and she uses smells to interpret what her best friend is feeling and saying. And yeah, I'm hoping that it might inspire children to think about the smells around them and the meanings that they have in their own lives, and maybe what they mean to them. And as part of that, I've recreated through aroma prime i've recreated some of the smells that appear in the book so i, I can... love that yes yes <laughs> it's an added bonus you can buy right 
Yeah, um, yeah, they're for sale um, on the Aroma Prime website, but also I'm taking them into schools and uh, okay. visiting a scout group um, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, hopefully, like I said earlier about using smells as a tool to illustrate things, I hope the smells might be a, an olfactory illustration for the book. Um, yes. Which is, it's fun. I went to a school and took the smells out and it's like the smell of Colette's soul and the smell of the smouted snatcher, which is a horrible fishy monster. And it's nice to see the children's reactions. They were all like crowding around trying to grab the smell and have a sniff. And it was fun to see them react. And I think that was a nice way to get them engaged with the idea of smells and storytelling through smell as well. Yeah. And hopefully getting them more engaged in reading again. Because a lot yeah. of children aren't reading as much anymore. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully it'll work both ways. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So how did you think to write a book about smells? I know based on your work, it makes perfect sense. Just your everyday life is filled with that. But then to to say, I, I'd like to write a book for children. How did that come about? I naturally ended up writing a book for children. I suppose I've always mostly been interested in children's literature anyway. And like in theme parks, it's often um, a family audience. So I'm used to that uh, demographic. So I I was working on a children's book before I was working for Roma Prime. I suppose one is inclined to write about what they're familiar with. So as I entered the world of smells, it kind of became more of a natural thing to talk about and to tell the story through. Yeah, I can't wait to read it. So you can get your hands on it by the time this airs. You can absolutely purchase it and i'm going to have a link in the show notes so everybody can check out your the (laughs) websites and figure out where to buy the book and is is it globally available or just in the uk right now yeah it will be globally available oh perfect for those of you who have children who are in that age range 8 to 12 you said i think it's definitely a a great idea to, to bring scent in and have children explore imaginary worlds just through their nose. It's a great idea. Liam, I'm so glad you're doing it. Thank you very much. (laughs) I like to ask my guests three questions at the end to get to know them a little better. And I did share those with you. So I can't wait to hear what you have to say. So let's get started. I guess my first question is, what's your favorite smell right now? Just in the moment, anything that you enjoy smelling right now? Having been so focused on the Doomtown dummies and writing the book, there's the character Lucian, who's the little ghost that Colette has in her umbrella, and he smells of lemongrass and also the scent of lilies under heavy rainfall. And the way he smells changes depending on his mood. So if he's a bit more angry, the lemoniness might come out a bit more and it'll be a bit more bitter. And then when he gets more roast, you can smell the wet lilies. Um, and recreating that smell was a, a fun project and I very much like the smell that's been created and I've been sniffing it quite a lot so I think particularly when I'm so focused on the book it's uh, nice to have that kind of olfactory connection. <laughs> yeah it's wonderful I, I hope to smell it I'm gonna have to get my hands on these. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Do you have a favorite scent memory that you can recall something that really is a deep meaning for you? The answer I thought of isn't so deep. It's more more personal entertainment and excitement. Oh, good. Um, Even better. (laughs) 
it was going to Ocean Towers a few weeks ago. And so they have this haunted house ride that opened in the 90s and Aroma Prime made some musty and damp smells for it. And the ride closed and it was refurbished and it's now opened as a ride called the Curse of Alton Manor. And it's a lot more elaborate and impressive. And what the team did was they reintroduced the old smells like so many theme parks have been doing. They re reintrodu reintroduced the nostalgic smells, but also added a few new ones. And having been working on these smells away from the theme park and associating them with the factory, going into the ride and sniffing them and having the smell memories from the factory, but having those memories transformed and renewed, like when you refresh your web page, it was nice to have my associations with those smells embellished within the context of the ride. So now when I smell kind of the earthy smell that we made for the garden scene, I've now got these images of the creepy scarecrows and the ghost on the swing that come back to me. It's an experience that is a unique and unusual one in that not many people would experience that kind of thing in that I was involved in making the smells and then I got to experience them in context because most people just sniff them in context from the get-go. So yeah, that was very interesting to me, having sniffed them at the factory and then sniffed them in the ride and it was very exciting. Oh, that's wonderful. So my last question then is, and I can't wait to hear this one, what would you say are five smells that best describe you? My first four are Aroma Prime smells because I just think of smells in terms of what they're labeled as in Aroma Prime's collection. So <laughs> okay. the first one is Musty. The mm -hmm. second one is Dragon's Breath. Oh, third one is Toffee. And the fourth one is Stables. And I've chosen them because those are the ones that resonate with me and inspire me a lot and kind of transport me into these immersive worlds, probably because they're so often used. They are go-to smells for immersive experiences, particularly musty. And then <laughs> a non-aroma prime smell is the smell of the Pirates of the Caribbean water at Disneyland, which is treated water that loads of fans have very personal associations with and memories of which is unusual because the pirate world didn't necessarily smell of treated water and the clean exactly. tablets. <laughs> but it's very ingrained in people's minds and it's ingrained in mine as well. And it's become a kind of beloved smell that's associated with the theme park experience. So that's my fifth choice. Interesting. Can you describe <laughs> it at all? I'm just curious what that smells like. It's very damp, which I suppose uh, which isn't that doesn't describe it very well but it when you go on the ride it smells I suppose it smells like mildew like the uh, and okay. maybe some yeah. of it is actually mildew and humidity yeah <laughs> but like the humidity of it all and the the damp like you said the dampness and, yeah, yeah. And it's a smell that you only really get when you're going on a water ride in a theme park like it doesn't smell like a swimming pool because yeah. they use something called bromine in the water which is has a subtler smell than chlorine so it's unique to the theme park experience. I'm going to have to pay attention to that more the next time I go to a theme yeah. park. <laughs> That's a good point. Thank you so much for joining me, Liam. It's been a pleasure to talk to you about this fascinating world of scenting theme parks for experiences and also museums for enhancing learning and understanding. 
and learning about your wonderful book that's just come out. Everybody get their hands on the Doomtown Dummies, which again, I'll have a link to in the show notes. So please do check that out. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's been lots of fun. Thank you for joining me on An Aromatic Life. If you're interested in learning more about your sense of smell from all different perspectives, subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends too. And it would be really helpful if you could rate the podcast so it helps others find it too. I also invite you to check out my website, smellgym.com, where you can take online classes to exercise your sense of smell for health and well-being. And while you're there, be sure to grab the free guide to help you elevate your smell health with everyday items in your home. Until next time, remember to smell everything and have a wonderful day.